Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you again for having me and my family. Uh, it's my privilege to bring God's word to you today from Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8, one could say, is uh, it's the pinnacle of Romans. So if Romans is Paul's magnum opus, then Romans 8 is the crescendo. You see, Paul talks in Romans 8 about there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Which is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, We're going to read it in a minute, but by way of background, this idea of there being no condemnation in Christ for Paul uh, is a bit odd, because he starts his letter with a proclamation of condemnation of sin. If you recall, after his greeting, Paul breaks in and he says, The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the knowledge of God in their unrighteousness. It's as if Paul is saying, God's condemnation is upon all unrighteousness. And so when we get to, there is therefore now no condemnation got to figure out how we got there. You see, uh, Romans 1-7 through is all about God's condemnation on sin. And in particular, in Romans 3, 4, and 5, we see that God's condemnation has been revealed against sin, and that there's a way out. And that is by God's grace through faith. Remember in Romans chapter 3, it's where Paul says that, All have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So there's a certain righteousness, a certain way to get out of the condemnation, and that is by faith. What we're going to see in Romans chapter 8 is we're going to see God's law. We're going to see God's initiative displayed. And of course, we're going to learn of God's purpose And so with that in mind, I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. This is God's word. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let us pray. O Holy Spirit, what Paul calls the Spirit of life, we pray that you would breathe into your word, Lord, that it would meet its mark today, that despite the broken vessel that proclaims it, Father, that you would do your work in our hearts. We ask, O Lord, that you would um, meet us where we are. Lord, remind us anew of the blessed gospel of Christ, and we pray this in his name. Amen. There is therefore now no condemnation. 
Back up one verse, and you're going to see this very interesting transition here. If you remember Romans 7, this is where Paul says that um, the things he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the very things uh, that he ought not to do, he keeps on doing. And he asks himself a question. He says, who will deliver me from the body of this death? And then he goes on to say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And at the end of verse 25, immediately preceding this declaration that there's no condemnation, he says this, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then he says, there's therefore now no condemnation. I'm imagining Paul writing this. And in, in chapter 7, remember, where he's, he's building this crescendo. And he gets to this place where he comes to terms with the idea that he is a sinner. That he, even though he serves God's law in his mind, he knows the truth. He knows how he ought to act, what he ought to do, and what he ought not to do. And he says, even I, Paul, and if you remember in Philippians chapter 2, he says, if anybody has any reason to boast, I do. I'm a Pharisee of the tribe of Benjamin. Check this out. Paul says that as to the law, he was blameless. The same blameless Pharisee, tribe of Benjamin man writes this. I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my members, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And it's if he's going back a couple chapters and he's talking about, but you know what? That doesn't matter. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is a, uh, if he's nothing, he is a student of God's law. Like I mentioned, he was a Pharisee. He studied the law. He was a Jew of Jews. But he sets forth the law really in two ways here. He talks about how there's a law of sin and death. We see this in verses 1 and 2. And there's a law of the spirit of life. Verse 2, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now keep in mind the background here was that Paul did this expansive treatment of the law in Romans 5 and 6 and then crescendoing in 7, where he's trying to tell the Jews in Rome, you have the law, but you're not children of Abraham. Because Abraham was not saved by the law. He's going to go on in chapter 9 to talk about how Abraham was saved by faith before the law ever was given. Remember, the law was given under Moses, and Abraham was way before Moses. And he even goes on to say that Abraham was saved before the law, before he was circumcised, which means he wasn't saved by the law. How was he saved? He was saved by faith in God's promise. The law, as would be understood here, is a law of death. But there's a different law, Paul tells us. The law of the spirit of life. Two laws. The law that leads to death, or the law of the spirit. Paul goes on to describe God taking the initiative in moving us from those who would put our hope in the law that Paul says can only bring death 
to those who can put their trust in the law that brings life, or the law of the spirit of life, as he says. Listen to what Paul writes in verse 3. For God has done. Paul just got through, got through reminding us that the things he tries to do, he can't do. And the things he shouldn't do, he does. And when he proclaims that God has given freedom to all those who put their faith in Christ, he says, but you know what? God is the one that does it. It is God that does the doing, not me following the law, not me being perfect, but God has done something to fix this. And he says this, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Do we have any law followers here? Don't we all sort of, sometimes we sort of rest on the law, how good we are, how good a Christian we are, how many times a week we read our Bible, how great a prayer we can offer. Paul says he was blameless under the actual law, the ceremonial law. And then he goes on to say that all of his righteousness was rubbish compared with knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. You know why? Because it's right here. The law was weakened by the flesh, and it could not save. But what does that mean, weakened by the flesh? It's as if to say, God's law is righteous. He said that in chapter 6. God's law, all in and of itself, is righteous. Think of the law as the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? Remember His name, remember the Sabbath, etc., etc., etc. That law is righteous. But what's unrighteous are the people that try to follow that law unto their own righteousness. And Paul says that because of the flesh, because of you and because of me, the law's righteousness is weakened. It means that we have depreciated the law to such an extent that we've begun to believe, and certainly Paul believed before his conversion, that the law could save him. That it would be the thing that would make him righteous. And what he goes on to say here is that by doing that, we weaken the righteousness of God. That's no surprise, right? Just name the Ten Commandments and how many have you broken this morning? How many will you break tomorrow and next week and next month? The law is weakened by the flesh. It, in and of itself, is righteous. It's God's righteous command. But when we try to follow it unto our righteousness, we depreciate it. We make it something it never was. And Paul even goes on to say, because the law couldn't do it. This is the same Paul who says, the blood, by the blood of bulls and goats, no man will be justified. He's speaking of the ceremonial law, the sacrificial system. The one that says the way you become righteous is you make this sacrifice and you place your hand on the sin offering and you drive that sin offering out of the camp. That's how one shows righteousness. He'll go on to tell us in Romans chapter 9 that all of that was good. And it was righteous. The problem is the people that tried to follow that law 
that they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. Okay, what does that mean? Does it mean that uh, when uh, the priests put their hand on the scapegoat and they pronounced uh, condemnation on that sin offering and, and drove it out away from the people that it had, no, it had nothing to do with sin? Well, no. It had everything to do with sin. It was a picture of sin needing to be paid for. You see, but what the Jews did is they put their hope in the slaying of the animal, in the following of the law, and not in the spirit of the law, which was to say, I cannot pay for my sin myself. You see, they were saved just like we're saved. They were saved by faith in God's provision for sin. They said, God requires death, and he's given us this picture of death, And when we pursue it by faith, as Paul says, then we receive God's grace. We, as with Christian eyes, we look back to the cross and we see, well, yeah, that was just a picture of the the true sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice on the cross. But make no mistake, it is by grace, through faith, that every human being that has ever lived will be saved. And there is no other way. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, you could say would not do, was never meant to do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Remember, it's we who make the law do something it was never supposed to do. Because we are sinners And in our sin, we cannot attain God's righteousness by following a righteous law. As James tells us, you know, we look at the law, it's like a mirror, we hold it up to our eyes, and we look in it, and nobody says, man, I look good. We all say, man, that's ugly. If that's the standard, I'm history. That's what the law was supposed to do. So when you look at it, you go, man, I'm doing pretty good, all right? I don't, I'm not as bad as that guy. I, you know, I give my money this way, or I think this way, or I don't curse, or whatever it is that's your thing, right? And you're putting your hope in that. And Paul, Paul calls that rubbish. Because the law was never meant to do that. However, God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What that means is that He sent His Son... Just like you and me, you see, but we're radically different than Jesus, right? Because when we try to follow the law, we bring the baggage of sin to the table. And we offer an offering that is nasty, sinful, unable to to, to provide atonement for sin. And yet Christ, the God-man, comes and he offers perfect obedience to that law. So here we see God's initiative. Those words again, For God has done, He sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And this is the best part. Then He says, He condemned sin in the flesh. There's no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say, but you know what? Christ Jesus came and he didn't condemn you. He condemned sin in the flesh. The condemnation, as it were, has been shifted from the rightful recipients of that that condemnation, you and me, apart from Christ. And it's been laid on Christ, the one who fulfilled the law. Through Christ, He condemns sin in the flesh. And here we see God's purpose. Verse 4, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. I love that phraseology. The righteous requirement of the law. You see, earlier in Romans, Paul had given this whole uh, unfolding of what the law was about. And he says things like this. He says, um, you know, the law came so that sin could abound. There you go. What? The law came so that the trespass might increase. The law was a tutor to drive us to Christ. So what's the law about? Remember the mirror? That's what the law is about. God's righteous law says, if you want to be saved, if you want to merit God's favor, then you have to obey this and you've got to do it perfectly. And then every one of us falls on our face and we say, we can't do it. But God has done in Christ what that law could not do. By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. That is, and to pay for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of that law might be fulfilled in us. And here's the punchline. Every human being who has ever lived apart from Christ deserves just condemnation for their sin. And if you're in Christ, you have recognized that. You know that, just like Paul, you try to do things, and you know they're right, and then you don't do them. Or you know you shouldn't do some things, and you do it anyway. Romans 1 says, all you get is condemnation for that. You you dare to sin in front of a holy God who made you. And Paul says, death. Death. And all of us who are in Christ should say, Amen. That's exactly what I deserve. I cannot even, for any extended period of time, follow God's requirement. And then, of course, the Gospel, it turns that for us, doesn't it? It says, yeah, you know what, though? God's doing something with that condemnation. And because God is righteous, Romans 3 says... God showed His righteousness by being merciful. Check that out. God showed that He's the righteous one by being merciful to you and to me. In order that the righteous requirement of the law that none of us can fulfill in and of ourselves might be fulfilled in us, And here it is, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
The Spirit of God, as it resides in us, calls us to faith in Christ. And when we have faith in Christ, though we still sin, just like Paul, Romans 7, that old man struggling within him, right? Even though we still struggle, just like he does, we get to say, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, that there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. God's purpose is that His law would be fulfilled in us who are in Christ. One of the best passages in the New Testament about this is Ephesians chapter 2. It's 1 and 2. Paul writes about these people. These people have been saved to the glorious grace of God. Remember, that's where Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses, but God made you alive together with Christ in order that in the coming ages He might show His righteousness through you and through me who have put our faith in Christ, the righteous one. You see, God's gospel, though it saves us and though we are the ultimate beneficiaries of that gospel, you know what it's about, right? It's about revealing God's righteousness. Who is this God who can create a people out of His own breath and they shake their fists at Him and say, we have our own way of doing this, God. Step aside. And that same God says, no, 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 no. Let me show you what I mean. And He gives a sinless, spotless Lamb like us in every way, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to live that law out for us. And then he says, you know what? You really want to show my righteousness? Why don't you do this? Why don't you admit you're a sinner? And then why don't you put your faith in the one who I've provided as the righteous sacrifice? And then what you're going to show to the whole world, starting inside of your own heart, is that I'm a God who is righteous, and I'm a God who is merciful. The way Paul puts it is... um, Here in Romans, he says that God is both just and he's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. Because we worship a God who has every right to extinguish us. And yet he says, there's another way. And it's faith in Christ. He's provided the way. And when you put your faith in him... I'm glorified. So we've seen God's law, sin and death versus the spirit and life. We've seen that God has taken the initiative. He's the one that condemns sin in the flesh instead of condemning you and me, the sinners. And we've seen God's purpose where God has fulfilled that law in Christ in us who are in Christ. And so... We must ask ourselves, what do we do with this? Well, brothers and sisters, this forgiveness, this turning away of the condemnation is for those who are in Christ. It's for those who have said to themselves, this is true. I'm like Paul. I deserve death. And yet God has given me a way out through Christ. And so we must ask ourselves, are we in Christ? And I want to present a few choices to you, just by way of thinking, 
throughout the week, think about this. Really what the gospel is about, it's really about a few choices you have to make, as according to Romans chapter 8 here. Do you want to be about the law, or do you want to be about grace? We know what the law gets you, right? It gets you condemnation. Grace gets you freedom from condemnation. How about sin or righteousness? The righteous one came to condemn sin. So are you you want the righteous one that pays for sin, or do you want to try to pay for your sin yourself? Death or life? Remember Paul called that law, that, that obedience in and of our own selves? He says that's obedience unto death. And then the fourth thing I would say is, do you want condemnation or do you want freedom? We've got enough condemnation in this world, do we not? And we certainly don't need to be adding to the condemnation, of our, the condemnation that is already out there. Do you want condemnation or do you want freedom? That is to say, do you want to follow the law that condemns or do you want to put your faith in the law obeyer, the one who obeyed the law and then receive his righteousness? What is this righteousness? And we'll end with this. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 says this. By the way, this is the verse that Martin Luther kind of snapped for him and he said, ah! I get it now. The righteousness I was attaining was not the righteousness of the law. It was God's righteousness. Here's what it says. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction. Remember what we said, everybody saved the same way. It's by the righteousness of God in providing a sacrifice for sin and we place our faith in that sacrifice. God's righteousness. Not our righteousness. That's what this is about. If we try to live in our own righteousness, we invite condemnation. And yet when we put our faith in the righteous one, we get life and peace, Paul tells us. And so as we go out among this world and we live our lives, let's be rooted in Christ, in the Righteous One. Particularly for the young people here, uh, uh, I would say uh, that you need to make that choice and you need to make that choice for yourself soon. Uh, The faith of your parents or of your roommates or whatever it may be is a faith that cannot be transferred to somebody else. It is a faith that comes from the inward part that then the object of that faith must be Christ. And so let us put our hope in Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank You that You are both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Thank You that While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you that in Christ we no longer experience condemnation, but we receive righteousness and peace because he has condemned sin in our flesh.
We pray, Lord, that uh, we who are prone to make our own way, to put trust in ourselves or in other people or in our abilities and gifts and whatever, Lord, that you would convict us of that self-righteousness in order that we may turn anew to true righteousness in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.